Hello, listeners. This is Ali Matu. Welcome to uh, Super Fantastic Nerd Hour. Um, just wanted to give you a heads up. We had scheduled to talk about the um, anniversary of The Wizard of Oz this week, but we're not doing that episode. Um, instead, we're going to be remembering Robin Williams this week. Um, this will, um, we're definitely going to be talking about um, some of our favorite moments of his career, and we'll be getting into a little bit um, uh, content related to depression and suicidality as well. So um, we wanted to give you the heads up. Uh, next week, we'll be back with a uh, regular Nerd Hour episode We'll be talking about Doctor Who, so um, feel free to enjoy this episode, um, or if you like, you can wait until next week. But thanks for tuning in, and uh, live long and prosper. Welcome, everyone, to this week's episode of Super Fantastic Nerd Hour. I'm H.A. Conrad, and I'm here with my co-host, Ali Matu. Hello, Ali. Hi, Conrad. Uh, So today, we are a little bit change in programming, as Ollie mentioned in the disclaimer, we are going to be celebrating and remembering the life of Robin Williams. Um, you know, Robin Williams, uh, we got the, the very sad news this week, and both of us were just, um, I, I think it's safe to say we were truly impacted by the news that, that Robin Williams had died. Um, and then with the additional news um, that he had taken his own life, that was that was just really hard to take. Um, I, I am a very much an admirer of his work. Um, and I think I, I'm sometimes the outlier in that uh, a lot of the work of his that just really impacted me were not necessarily his comedic roles. Mm. Um, but I just always remember him. He's, he's been a part of my childhood and my life. So I, I think it was, um, a good choice to switch out the programming this week. How about you, Ali? How are you doing? Yeah, it's, it's, it's a hard episode to do. And, um, it, I, I, I learned about his death. I was actually, uh, watching guardians of the, I was about to watch guardians of the galaxy for the second time. And, uh, the trailer came on for the new, um, a night at the museum movie. And my friend leaned over to me and said, did you hear that Robin Williams passed away today? Um, and just, uh, hearing that news right when I was watching a trailer for one of his new movies was, uh, was really tough because it's it was a uh, watching that trailer was another reminder of how um the the extreme range of his career um and the, the wide variety of work that he's produced and uh, just since then it's it's been it's been hard and i've been uh, looking back at some of his, a lot of clips on youtube and uh reading some some of his quotes and just uh just trying to remember all the the wonderful things he did. So I, I am glad that we're doing it, but it, it's a it's a tough episode to do. Yeah, um, but I'm also choosing to focus on a lot of the positive things and all the the great gifts that he had, and the as you said, he had such a, a wide range of of um, different types of movies and roles, and and just an incredible talent. Um, but in addition to that, I just um, I think that he was a person that gave an awful lot back um, to so many different causes and to so many different people. And not just, you know, he he did um, comic relief and he was a part of a lot of different 
um, organizations to help, you know, various research causes and things like that. But just you hear all these stories coming out just of these very small acts of kindness that he would do on a daily basis. Yeah. And Um, and we're hearing a lot more of those stories now. Um, There's a a great video of him in one of his um, one of his many uh, USO trips to support um, U.S. troops abroad. And um, there's there's a great video of him doing some um, some stand up there for them. And and what happens when his stand up meets this uh, 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 the the lowering of the flag. And it's a it's a great scene. But there are a lot of ways in which he. he was more than just a comedian and an actor, and um, he has such an interesting, uh, such an interesting career. So, where what's your first memory of being exposed to to some of his work? Well, I actually remember him on Happy Days <laughs> um, because I am that old. Um, <laughs> he had this little um, he had this little part that was supposed to just be this like. Um, like, like a little just cameo role or just this little tiny role. And, um, that little walk on or whatever ended up, you know, he got Mork and Mindy after that. Well, um, that, that role was supposed to be in that episode. Uh, Mork was just supposed to be a dream. Right. No, it wasn't even supposed to be what it became. And he just took it. Um, and, you know, and I do remember like, you know, cause I was super little at that point. Um, but I remember just being obsessed with Mark and I remember watching Mark and Mindy and just that was one of the television shows my mom would allow us to watch, you know, yeah, in addition yeah. to, to other stuff. <laughs> like, so, um, it, you and, know, and we just loved him. My sister and I loved him and, um, you know, we loved his little egg uh, you know, ship that he would go to, you know, and I remember wanting one <laughs> and then like, yeah. and like where, can, where can you get one of those things? That looks so cozy. <laughs> so you can get on work. That's where you get. Yeah. 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 So yeah, anyway, uh, um, that's was that, my exposure to Conrad. Um, mm-hmm. It was it was in reruns when I was watching it, uh, probably in the mid to late 80s. Uh, but I have these memories of watching Mork and Mindy with my dad. And I've mentioned my dad many times on this show, and I think he was a big geek conduit to me. And um, I was rewatching some clips from Mork and Mindy this week. And what's interesting is, you know, at the end of the episodes, there would be these scenes where he's reporting back to Ork, uh, Robin Williams playing Mork. And he's kind of sharing the lessons that he's learned about humanity and I'm watching this. And I'm like, you know, this is a lot like there's a lot of social commentary here. And while the show is hilarious, it's also doing a little bit of what Spock and Data did in Star Trek by commenting about humanity. And I never I never picked up on that as a kid. But it's cool how the show was it, it wasn't just a comedy. It was it was doing a little bit more than that. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, and that's, you know, as a kid, you don't pick on, up on that as much. I think it's in retrospect that you realize some of these important things that they're trying to say with the show. Yeah. Um, but, you know, and I actually, I don't know if you saw, but the uh, the sitcom that he had been in this past year with um, Sarah Michelle Gellar, um, there was actually a reunion of types. Uh, uh, Pam Dauber ended up being a guest spot on that show um this past spring 
Really? Yeah. So you should definitely check that out. Um, that was very cool. I was very excited. And, you know, Sarah Michelle Geller said something. I think she tweeted something that was like, oh, I'm so thank you so much for letting me be part of this moment, because I know she must have been a Mork and Mindy fan. <laughs> <laughs> um, and just, you know, so I... Yeah, so very early on, at least in terms of, I guess, the, the nationals, when he stepped onto the national stage or national consciousness, I guess that's when my first exposure was. Um, and then obviously, you know, you see all the movies and, and films and things like that. Um, and he just he just had this way. I mean, there was definitely a lot of humor there. and But I was really some of his more dramatic roles just totally blew me away. Sure. Um, in terms of you know his depth and his ability to touch uh, to touch the audience, um, and you've heard me talk before about what dreams may come, yeah, on the pa- podcast, and um, you know, th- and obviously there there's so many others, um, which we'll I'm sure we'll get to in the top five, but um, I just uh, I I know that it was not just he was such a huge personality. If you look at the outpouring of of memories and and people talking about different interactions that they had with with him um it's just a testament to such a just what a what a big person he was and what a big spot he filled in this world yeah i was talking to one of my uh colleagues at work uh this week and she was sharing the story about her family has this text message chain they were they were planning something to do this weekend and um it, the 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 thread became a thread in which they were sharing their favorite memories of Robin Williams and you know that that text thread had people who were um 11 12 13 all the way up to people in their 60s and 70s and um what was cool about that is everyone had some uh favorite memory of Robin Williams um, the young kids might be talking about a night at the museum. Mm-hmm. Um, other people might be talking about Jumanji. Um, some might be talking about Dead Poet Society, Mork and Mindy, Aladdin, Hook, Mrs. Doubtfire, uh, Goodwill Hunting. You know, there. Um, this man had quite, uh, quite an expansive career. And you're right; it's it's more than just the comedy. And I, I know, you know, my. Uh, Again, my my whole family really enjoyed watching Robin Williams and um, Mrs. Doubtfire, I think, was one of my mom's probably her favorite movies because it's just uh, the character that he creates. But to me, a few of the roles that really stick out, um, um, what he did with Goodwill Hunting mm-hmm. and Awakenings and um, Fisher King, uh, Fisher King. Well, yeah, I'm working with Terry Gilliam. Um, who we just spend a lot of time talking about last week, but then also Patch Adams. Like I think those three films, uh, Patch Adams, um, Awakenings, and um, Goodwill Hunting, they were some of the early exposures that I had to someone in um, in a helping field and in a healthcare field, um, and especially with Goodwill Hunting, I think he sort of legitimized this idea of, uh, you know, the quote unquote talking cure to me. Hmm. And, um, some people ask me like, was it Deanna Troy in Star Trek, the next generation that made you want to become a therapist? And I'm like, no, not really. (laughs) Um, it was more seeing people in roles like Goodwill Hunting. Hang on one second. Sorry. Really? People ask you that? Oh yes. Cause seriously, she's like the worst 
therapist ever. She's Just a saying. <laughs> she's a horrible <laughs> therapist. And she's such such a stereotype of uh well, let's sit and talk about your feelings and Wait, uh, I can sense that you're not happy. <laughs> yeah, I know. How annoying would that be? To have a therapist who asks you, "How are you feeling?" Well, I'm fine. No, you're not. I can, I can. I'm an empath. Um, uh, sorry, I didn't mean to sidetrack you. I just had to. I just had to talk about that for a second. Conrad, I get it all the time, all the time. Um, so it, it was, I think, more stuff like Goodwill Hunting that showed me how important um, that relationship can be between two people to help someone through a very difficult time in their life. And, uh, you know, therapy isn't just about the relationship, but you don't get anywhere if you don't have that relationship and the trust and feeling like this other person genuinely cares for you. And I got a lot of that from Patch Adams and uh, from uh, Goodwill Hunting and, and Awakening. So I, I, I do... Really am grateful for the contribution he made to my field and to legitimizing it and hopefully helping other people to see that and say, well, maybe this is something I want to do or maybe this is something I want to try and I want to see if therapy might be for me. So well, and really the thankful other, for The that. other thing that the Goodwill Hunting role really hit home for me and it was just – it was – he – I, I think he actually deserved to win an Oscar long before that, but yeah. um, I was very happy to see that he won it for that. And one of the one of the things about that role that hit home for me, just in terms of the idea of therapy, isn't just that you have this relationship the, the with the therapist um, and and the and the client, um, but that at some point part of the therapy is helping that person move on. Mm. And and move on in their life. And that's really what the end of Goodwill Hunting is about. Mm. And that, you know, that it isn't just this unending circle. Um, that yeah. there is, you know, a, a bit of a, it's a progression, I guess is yeah. what I'm saying. And and I think in some other, other films and, and representations of therapy, you pretty much just see, um, you know, them in, in an, a therapy setting, but not necessarily such a positive ending. Do you know what yeah. I mean? So I yeah. thought that that was I thought that was such a great way to portray and to show that. Um, and you know, even though he was moving on, he took the time to let his therapist know he was moving on, and you know, in such a such a very like succinct way. So yeah. I, I like I like that, um, and I'm really glad you're pointing that out. That that makes me also think of Dead Poet Society. Well, exactly. So that's another you know, and so I think he had these roles that were just so. Uh, so deep and I and I it's it's also a little bit it's interesting because when he did these and I think part of why he wasn't honored early enough in my opinion again um, <laughs> is that he had this role as the funny guy and you know there's been um, there's been a lot of articles going around and I, I think I sent a couple to you just in terms of um, and cracked actually did a great um, article just about mental illness and about um, specifically related to comedians and why why they're at much more risk or why perhaps that profession attracts people that may be ha struggling with some of these things. And, you know, it's, yes, he was a very funny person, but there was so much more to him than just the routines. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, it reminds me of some of the other comedians Um uh, who also have this very frenetic ability to um, 
to just kind of fill a room and uh, makes me think of Jim Carrey and other mm-hmm. people who have, have been, very openly spoken about uh, their struggles. I, I don't know if you've ever have you ever seen any of the Jim Carrey interviews where he talks yeah. and he writes about um, some of his struggles with depression and, and um, he also suffers from bipolar disorder, I believe. Um he he, but he has talked very openly about those things, and just um, has put the description that he gives are very, um, I think, very helpful because I think for people who have not uh, either interacted with somebody who is struggling with these issues or has never experienced them at this level, because it's not just feeling sad for a little while, like yeah. chronic depression is not it. It is not like I'm having a bad day. This is a, like. I'm having a bad year or, you know, like just a longer period of time. And so to counteract that, it is an active battle. Um, And I think Jim Carrey put those words, uh, put it into words very well. Um, So I don't know if if you should look at it if you haven't already. Yeah, and and similarly to Robin Williams and and uh, Jim Carrey, um, both individuals were seen as being um, comedians first. And uh, I think Robin Williams probably had more success in showing his dramatic side, but that's something we've seen with Jim Carrey as well. I mean, if you look at Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, oh, yeah. that's one of my favorite um, science fiction films, and he really he speaks to some of these same tender. Uh, very human moments that Robin Williams is able to do and, and did so well throughout his whole career. Um, what, what do you think it is that made Robin Williams so unique as a, um, as an entertainer, as an actor, as a comedian? Well, I mean, honestly, like it's interesting because just in what we were talking, everybody thinks he's a funny guy, but if you actually listen to some of his routines, some of it's pretty dark. Mm -hmm. Um, And a lot of comedy is actually very dark. And I think it's a way of presenting things to an audience that hit home and are very real. And that's why somehow that's why people are laughing. Mm -hmm. So it's it's a way to deal with some of these issues. Um, Sometimes similarly, sci fi does this, too, in just that you're addressing these very heavy issues, but it's it's your and you're laughing at it. It's it's a it's definitely dark humor a lot of the times. Um, I also think Robin Williams was very, very fast. Um, if you uh, ever, ever saw him just do his his improvisation, and he talks a lot about or, that, or any interview, <laughs> well, any interview. Although, you know what, I have to say, because um, you know, I had seen clips from the Inside the Actor Studio and things like that, and I do notice that a lot of what he does is try to avoid answering questions yeah. um, by using his comedy, and you know, there's this wonderful. Um, there is this really wonderful podcast called WTF, um, and it's run by Mark Maron, and he's the host. And he actually re, um, republished the podcast that he did with Robin Williams, and it was a pretty long interview. And the thing that is very, I think, amazing about this is that Robin Williams doesn't have an audience here, or he doesn't, or he doesn't do this thing that he does in the Inside the Actor Studio. Um, and he talks very honestly. I mean, there's a couple of moments where he may do a little bit of an impression, but it's the most normal or real Robin Williams that I think I've seen yeah, um, or heard about. Um, and, you know, I think that that 
that uniqueness, his ability to draw people in and make them his audience so quickly is was his big talent. Um, and they connected with him. And, you know, I, I think there was a lot of and you see it like comedy is a pretty cutthroat world. Um, and this some of that podcast discloses a lot of that and puts a lot of stuff out there that I just wasn't aware of. Um where he had been accused of stealing people's routines and things like that. And he would just be gathering stuff, like going and watching somebody's routine, and it may come out later on. And he just stopped actually going to watch other people stand up, depending, like if there were people that he felt safe around, as he said, he would go and do that. But otherwise, people would accuse him of ripping them off. Um, it's a, it, uh, you, everyone, if you if you do um, care about this individual and the work he's done, you, you really need to check out this interview. We'll put the link in our show notes. Um, you're right, Conrad. It is um, it's such an honest look at his life. It's it's kind of like those rare moments where you see Stephen Colbert out of character. Yeah, it, and he, he's almost never out of his character. And it's going to be really interesting to see what happens when he um, takes over um the uh the late show um from david letterman um i don't know what he's going to do if he's going to be in character or not but it, it's similar to robin williams you're right he he doesn't answer questions and here he really is he's being so authentic and those stories about um uh, sometimes uh if a comedian was upset that they felt like he took some of his work you know he would he would pay them he would give them money say i'm sorry that kind of slipped out i didn't realize it and um he it's hard to listen to that interview at times because he does talk about um, a moment in his life when he was struggling with suicidal thoughts and struggling with substance use. But the way he describes it um, to me as a, as a cognitive behavioral therapist, I'm thinking, Oh my gosh, he, he was doing in that moment what I try to help so much of so many of my clients who are struggling with suicidality to do the exact same thing, you know, to think about, okay, you're having this thought. Is this thought maybe due to um, you not being kind of a different state of mind? Okay. All right. Let's put it on the side. Okay. And he walks you through in such an honest way um, his uh, – his, the story of his life. Um, and that's the thing about uh, – what's so great about Robin Williams is um, he was he was honest. Um, he was honest and we're not all – you know, I was at um, – I was at the American Psychological Association conference, uh, the big convention this past weekend in um, in Washington D.C. And Jane Pauley was one of the keynote speakers, and uh, some of our listeners might remember her from um, NBC News. And um, she came out about her bipolar depression um, a few years ago. And uh, the president of the, a- of the APA, Nadine Caslow, asked her about um, why she's been so open, and she says, you know. Um, I really think the way that we change people's perspectives about all of this is to tell our honest stories, good and bad, about everything in our life. And she says, I hate the word stigma because when we say the word stigma, it brings up all of these. It brings up everything that is stigmatic. And she said, you know, please um, just tell your story. And we need we need hope. We need stories about hope. We need stories like Michael J. Fox, stories about people who are who are dealing with real things and they're also inspiring us. And I think the story of Robin Williams is that um, he is an individual who um, who dealt with a lot and um, and continued to inspire hope. 
and continue to live an honest and authentic life. I I I think he he lived an interesting life. I think that there were a lot of things that were tough because I think it's tough being on that stage. Um and some of the struggles that he was dealing with, I mean in terms of addiction and other things were were truly hard and you see in some of the interviews and things that we're going to put up in the show notes um that part of being on that stage he described some of his stand up as being therapy. Um, yeah. as being, you know, I don't have to think that I'm like this celebrity or I have to deal with a celebrity there. So I, I think he had a way of channeling authenticity and authenticity of character and things like that. But I also think that, you know, every we, you and I did not know Robin Williams. We could appreciate no. his work. But I yeah. think that that's some of the objection I have to some of the stuff coming out. And, you know, uh, there there's, you know... It, there's been, you know, and I don't, I don't want to get too far into this, but um, because I don't want to contribute to the problem, but there has been an awful lot of information out there that I think is very harmful generally yeah. um, in terms of describing a lot of details and things like that. His, his daughter got a lot of abuse on Twitter and on Instagram and is now off of those um, forms of social media for the moment because of trolls. And, well, and, and Twitter just announced today that they are going to change their policies as a result of um, of the abuse that um, Zelda Williams experienced uh, following her father's death. Right. But one of the things that struck me about some of the things that she said was just that, you know, the Rob Williams that everybody else got was was very different from my dad, you know. Yeah. And and I can appreciate that. I also think that there's that line between celebrity and, and real life um, for celebrities that is is it's a tough line to walk, especially if you're somebody like Rob Williams that li- liked to be on stage all the time everywhere. Um, so, well, let's let's talk about that real quick then. I mean, uh, you're right. I didn't know Robin Williams. I never met him. Um, I'm not going to be an armchair psychologist and try to diagnose him or, or say what he was struggling with or what his strengths were. I, I don't know the person. I know him only based upon his work. Um, but whenever we are talking about um, suicidality, there is there's a responsibility in the media to um, deal with that um, in a in a way that's consistent with what we know about um, suicidality and some of the contagion effect that can happen as a result of it. And uh, there's been some pro and con about all of this. And I I don't want to, like you were saying, I don't want to get into um, too much of the details here. But one thing that I have appreciated this week is I think there has been a more of a mature discussion that has emerged um, about, about depression and about, um, I think about the relationship between um, depression and other illnesses, um, the, the relationship between uh, Parkinson's and, and depression and some of the changes that happen in your brain's chemistry. Um, I'm happy to see that happen more. And there's been more a sharing of resources of, you know, if you are someone who is experiencing suicidal thoughts, what to do. And um, it's it's been great to hear so much discussion about, um, uh, you know, one of the myths about suicidality is if you talk to someone about suicide, it might put ideas in their head. And there's very clear research here that that is not the case. If you talk to someone and ask them if they're 
you know, if they're experiencing suicidal thoughts, it doesn't put ideas in their head. It's actually quite validating to the person and can, can help them share what's, what's happening. And there's been a lot of sharing of resources, whether it is, uh, the national suicide hotline, you know, 1-800-237-TALK or projects like, uh, live through this.org, which I don't know if you've seen live through this. It's, um, a, a project from a, f- a photographer who is done these interviews with um, individuals who attempted and survived um, suicide. Yeah, I have and seen it. It's, it, it's interesting. It's, it's really, um, the fact that he took this on is just kind of, um, with the stories, have you read a lot of them? I'm assuming you have. Yeah, no, I have. I mean, this is, um, this is something that, you know, is, is, uh, I, I've got a lot of experience with professionally and personally I've talked about in our mental health episode about my, my brother losing, losing my brother to suicide. It's, it's something that I spent a lot of time as, a, as a family member, um, survivor of someone who died, um, going through this. And, you know, I think it's, um, to have more discussion about, about this is, uh, and to have that discussion, um, emerge in a more civilized way, um, it, it has been, has been great for me to see. And, um, another resource that, um, that has been shared a lot is attemptsurvivors.com, which is put out by one of the associations for suicidality. And, um, there's a lot of resources there as well as seeing all of this, um, this has been, um, I've really appreciated it to see that. And I know there's a lot of, a lot of dark stuff that, that comes out of this and, uh, and journalists and websites that are not, um, that are doing a disservice and actually increasing some of the danger out there. But to see a lot of the media cover this in a more responsible way, and we're going to put links to all the show notes out there or links in the show notes to some of these resources. That's great to see. Yeah, no. Um, and also, I just need to make one correction. Sorry, it's a she. Desiree uh, L. Stage is a photographer who does the Live Through This Project. So, yeah. um, And she's also somebody that um, has, uh, she was diagnosed with bipolar disorder. Um, so she she is, it, this is a very personal project for her. And I do encourage people to look at it. I think that that's one of the positive things um, in terms of the things I've been seeing coming out about a lot of this. Um, but, um, in any case, I, I agree with you. I think some people have been more responsible than, than others and I'm choosing to focus on the more positive things that have come out, um, of this sad story, um, which is the focus on, on talking about some of these things and having other people talk about these things. And, you know, Michael J. Fox was talking about some of the Parkinson's, um, the relation of depression to Parkinson's, which I thought was very helpful. Um, my mother, my, not my mother, my grandmother, um, suffered from Parkinson's, uh, for many years before she passed away. And I can certainly attest to the fact that it certainly increases your, uh, proclivity towards depression. And it's not just the situation and being diagnosed. Some it's your brain chemistry changes. Um, and recognizing that it changes is sometimes I think hard. Um, yeah. So, you know, um, that's, so that's all the, of, but, but I think that this has been some of the positive things, um, that have come out of all of this is that, you know, 
and you know, I was seeing a lot of interesting things go up on, on Facebook and on Twitter. And, and there were a lot of people commenting saying, you know, I, I know everybody's very sad about this, but please take this out instead of just ruminating about all of this, please reach out to your, your friends or loved ones that you think might be having some trouble and just invite them to talk about it or invite them to, to be honest about it. Because I just think that people tend to keep these things to themselves a little too much, in my opinion. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree with you. And the more I've, I've studied and, um, intervened with suicidality, the more I, I understand that this is really kind of a, it's an alternate, alternate kind of state of consciousness. And it's, it's, um, it's a natural response to, um, an incredible amount of pain and hopelessness and, and suffering and agitation. Um, talking to someone about it is probably the, the best thing you can do. And then, um, you know, and and that's something I would encourage anyone who might be anyone who's listening to this and and struggling themselves with these thoughts. You know, I'd really encourage you before you do make any permanent decision about your life to talk to a loved one and, and seek help um, for this. And um, it's um, yeah, I mean, it's I think I'll just I'll, I'll just leave it at that because I could. Um, this is definitely something I could spend a lot of time talking about and it's, it's a hard thing for me to talk about. But one of the things, one of the, you're speaking of the positives, Conrad, that has come out, come up about this. I think one of my favorite things that has happened this week is people are sharing their stories of how much of a super nerd Robin Williams was. Um, I did not know this, but, um, he's a, he was a huge gamer. Well, I did know this because he named his daughter Zelda after <laughs> Legend of Zelda. Um, and there's been an awful lot of tributes. He was very into World of Warcraft. Um, he was also a super bicycle nerd, um, which I don't know if you knew that. Um, that I actually knew because he, he biked in France a lot. Um, and uh, I had seen pictures of, of him. I, there was a period in my life where I really got into biking Um and then I broke my ankle and I got out of biking for a while. But that was around when he was also getting into biking. That yeah. part I knew. Well, one of the things he said about it is that it was the closest thing he'd ever experienced to flying, which I thought was uh, uh, very which, cool. Uh, um, oh, he, if you talk to a lot of people who bike, I think they would probably agree with that. I mean, the reason why I like biking is I like the feeling of going fast and I like the wind in my face. And I, I've never really thought about it as, you know, it's it's close to flying, but that's kind of what it does feel like. Yeah. Um, and, you know, he also um, he collected and built a lot of vintage bikes and very specialty bikes. And he was very into all that stuff, like on such a nerdy, nerdy level, um, which I can really appreciate. So he was into all that. I mean, it seems like whatever he was into, he was into it in such a very good way. Um, totally. totally. Um, That's one of the cool things about, you know, one of my favorite things in life um, is talking to someone about their 
geeky nerdy interests that's why i think i we that's why i think i like being on the show with you because we get to often do that but i was just at a wedding last night um and i got to meet um a good friend of mine owen um i got to meet his family and his parents are huge uber geeks and i got to learn about their geeky interests and how his father used to work for the bbc and he sat in a tardis um back in the 80s when he worked for the bbc so you know it's so cool to hear about people's geeky interests and that's one of the things about robin williams whatever he was into he was into incredibly and he's talked about why he likes um improv so much and how it's the the reinforcement he gets from the audience that leads him to kind of push things a little bit further and experiment and the way he talks about it seems very similar to these ideas of uh, psychological flow where your sense of time disappears you don't realize how much time is elapsing you're completely absorbed in the moment and um your abilities are meeting the challenge of the task. And for some people, they get that when they're reading a great book. For some people, they get that when they're listening to beautiful music. Others get that when they're swimming or when they're writing. Or get that from all of those things. (laughs) Or from all of those things. And I think Robin Williams is someone who got that from gaming. Um, He's talked about how much he loved Portal and Call of Duty and, like you're saying, Zelda. And he's even been in Zelda commercials with his daughter, Zelda. Um, And I, I think he got that from biking as well and, of course, improv. Um, so it's always cool to see people geeking out. It's like the coolest thing in the world, I think. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, and you know, there is this, uh, great story about how, um, he just in terms of his biking geekiness, um, how he went to this, this bike show, um, in Oregon and he, he, like the, um, so the types of bikes that he, would collect a lot and that he was a huge fan of were the were the Pegaretti bikes. Have you ever seen them? No. They're no. really, really cool. I mean they're they're definitely a biker's bike. Um and so he um he basically w- went out to this thing and um ended up meeting uh the owner of these uh of uh or sorry, the designer and the the owner of this company, Dario Pegaretti, who had been um, actually very ill, um, and there wasn't he, he. There was some thought that he might not come to this show, but he ended up coming. And then he and Robin Williams and a bunch of people all went out to dinner, and um, just this description of just his knowledge, because I guess he was just visiting all the 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 booths and talking to people about their different models and whatever, and he knew everything. So, um, <laughs> everything and, you know, and, and somebody said, you know, it was, yeah, it was Rob Williams at the bike show, but it was more like huge bike nerd at the bike show. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's the kind of stuff I love hearing about. And it's so cool when, um, it's kind of a surprise when you're hanging out with someone and the geekiness sort of, uh, secretly emerges. Um, it sounds like that's exactly kind of what happened there. That's, that's so cool. Yeah, so I I actually, um, so I just want to point out, we're not going to do the crossover chamber this week because we just felt like it just wasn't really, there wasn't really a place for it this week. Don't you agree? Yeah, Yeah, it just didn't, it wouldn't have been right. Yeah. So um, I would love to chat with you a little bit about our favorite Robin Williams moments. Let's do that. I think that would be great. Um, So that's going to be our top five this week. um, And I would love to hear 
uh, super fantastic listeners moments that they remember as well. Cause I think that that's There's really, <laughs> there are so many, but I also think that that's really what, what we should be focusing on. Um, and, and remembering. Um, so I am sure we are going to have some sort of, uh, some sort of, uh, movie night marathon with some of, some of the ones that I'm going to put in here anyway. I think that would be awesome. Um, Conrad, would you like to lead us with your number five? Sure. Um, my number five is actually from the movie Hook. Huh. Not one I thought you'd pick. Uh, it's not, you know, I know the, f- the film got a bad rap and there are parts of it that I agree are not the most fantastic. But there is the <laughs> moment because, you know, Rob Williams did such a great job in this film acting like this, this you know, cold businessman who's forgotten you know, what it's like to be a kid and what it's like to, to really believe in magic and um, to have some of those magical moments. And when he ends up in um, in Neverland and there's this, this fantastic moment where um, he, you know, he has his first interaction with, with Captain Hook, who's played by mm-hmm. Dustin Hoffman. And, does, and Dustin Hoffman's basically trying to get him to do the things that he's supposed to do as Peter Pan, and he just won't do them. <laughs> And it's like, like the, the, it's like he thinks he's having a mental breakdown. Um, and it was just a fantastically well played moment between these two actors that I just thought was, was so excellent. Um, and there's a few moments like that in this film. And when he actually realizes that he is indeed Peter Pan. Um, and, um, so I guess I cheated. There's a couple moments in there. Um, it's okay. You can have a, you can combine it. But there's just, he really, I thought, you know, despite some of the, the failings of this film, ahem, Rufio, um, <laughs> let's, let's just say that I thought that there were some really just wonderful moments between different actors and characters. Um, I thought Maggie Smith in this was fantastic. Um, but I thought Rob Williams, they couldn't have done this film without him. A good choice. I, I um, uh, two good friends of mine, uh, Colin and Diana, are big fans of Hook, so they will they will appreciate that one. Um, I know, you know I'm going to take some flack for it, though. It's okay, people. Bring it on. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Conrad will defend herself for this pick. Um, my number five is in um, a moment in Mork and Mindy. This is uh, Mork meets Robin Williams. Do you- <laughs> That's my number four. <laughs> oh, cool. Cool, cool! I know exactly which one you're talking about, and it's a super poignant moment. Yeah, it really is. It's it's also pretty cool that they were doing this on TV um, in an era when a special effect like that was really expensive, and you'd only see that kind of stuff in film. And I, I know you, the um, Mork never really actually like touches uh, Robin Williams in the sh- in the the scene, but it's still pretty cool that they were doing this on a TV budget. Anyways, the basic setup is. Um, Mork gets uh, gets confused as looking as as Robin Williams and Mindy's trying to do this interview with Robin Williams and they get take this police officer takes him into Robin Williams dressing room and uh, the two meet Mork and Robin Williams meet each other and um, Mindy's sort of having this discussion with Robin about um, what it's like to being a uh, what it's like to be a celebrity and Robin Williams sort of reflects on how hard it is for him to say no. And it's a, it seems like it's a, it's a 
honest kind of moment and reflection on where he is in his career and his life at that time. And it's, um, it's just really interesting that that kind of moment happened. Um, so uh, you, you ranked as number four. What, what was that scene? What does that scene mean to you? Well, I just remember it being this super weird, sort of not, and especially when I rewatched it um, for, you know, and, and cause I was trying to, rem- I remembered it, but I was like, Oh, you know what? I remember this like kind of interesting scene and it was just this moment of honesty in the show. Yeah. Um, a little bit of like taking the mask down a bit. Um, and to me, it was very clearly a very honest dialogue about some of the things that were going on in his world. So, and I thought at the time, from the when it was aired that's like a pretty big as you said aside from the special effects it was a pretty big thing to put on the air at that point yeah so yeah he also had a lot of great moments on sesame street which you know there there are some of my honorable mentions (laughs) so oh i'm looking forward to hearing this yeah cool uh, number four. Well, we, we already just talked about your number four. Um, so I can share mine. Uh, this is going to be an obvious one for a lot of people. Um, but it's, uh, two different scenes from, uh, Dead Poets Society. So we're kind of hop skipping around the dead. This is my number three, but let's see if there's <laughs> the same moments. Well, okay. So, uh, uh I'm going to let you share first since I ruined your, your number four. No, no, go ahead. Go ahead. All right. Okay. Um, two scenes. Um, this, the first scene is when um, his character um, does stand up on his desk and he, and he talks about how important it is to look at things in a different way. And uh, the second scene is when he is um, taking the boys in the classroom um, outside and he shows them the faces of, uh, of people who went to the school long ago. And it is this message about seizing the day. Um, for you're not going to be here forever. Um, those two scenes, um, you know, I saw that film when I was, when I was young and when, um, at a point in my life when I didn't exactly like school, um, it was, it was kind of Star Trek that made me like school and made me like science. And this was kind of before that. And watching those scenes, I, I felt like he was, uh, Robin Williams was the, the type of teacher that I always wanted to have. And he was teaching much more than just literature or anything like that. But he was sharing these big, important lessons about life. Um, and those things really kind of stuck with me. Um, well, I actually, that the the first scene where he kind of walks in to the classroom, and this is the same scene you're talking about, and all the, the students don't know what to expect. They're at a pretty strict school um, from everything that you've seen up until this point. And so they think that this is just going to be status quo. And then he turns that totally around. And I agree with you. It was one of those things. I was not, I was very good in school because I was super nerdy about it, but (laughs) you always wanted to have one of those teachers that was basically not, not focusing on what, on following the rules and the status quo basically. And and turning things around. And I thought that that whole scene was just so well done and talking about the people that came before and what they, what they thought. And he was just, I thought it was a very powerful scene. So that was my, that was my number three. 
Well, you know, I, you know, I agree with you. Well, in this, in the standing <laughs> on the desk, I got to give that to you. I mean, it's it, it when he is fired from the school and he's basically like, well, you know what, this is, this is okay. Um, and they all, re- they all honor him by standing on their desks. And I, I think you probably saw the meme going around where all the people were standing on their desks at work. Yeah, and um, Jimmy, Jimmy Fallon just did this this week on Tonight Show as well on his memorial. Yeah, so I, I don't think we're the only ones who have that as one of our <laughs> favorites. So, um, yeah. So that was your number three. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, my number three is um, from Mrs. Doubtfire, and it is the, uh, the ending to Mrs. Doubtfire. So I, I guess I'm going to spoil it a little bit here. Um, for those of you who haven't seen it. Uh, so this is what, what I really love about Mrs. Doubtfire. You know, it's a story about, um, about a family going through divorce. Sally Field plays a mother and Robin Williams plays a father. And it's a story about Robin Williams and his character and the sadness and loss he feels for being away from his children and his, him creating this nanny, uh, to, to become closer to his children, spend more time with them. And um, the film, the film is hilarious, right? It's, but I, I think as uh, Mike uh, Biglia said in his article, you could only do this with Robert Williams, because if you look at what the actual story of the film is, it's, it's like super weird and creepy. Uh, <laughs> like yeah. If you take it, <laughs> if you just like tell people in words what this film is about, it's like wow that is just really dark apparently Sorry. he was in um uh in between filming he was in uh, dressed as mrs doubtfire and he shares a story on in an interview and said um well he went in character into this sex shop and asked for these like the most uh outrageous things in in character and in his accent that he that he created and you know so this it's it's great how rob williams can go from this uh a family comedy to like these twisted places but i think the ending of the film and without giving too much away um it does speak to some of these basic emotions that we have about connecting with our loved ones and sometimes the the stupid things we do in the name of in the name of our love and uh how um it just i think for a lot of families that that was very touching and i it's what i love about mrs doubtfire it is it does kind of show some of the range that robin williams is capable of so from the crazy slapstick humor you know the scene where he's making food and his his breasts are on fire and he like the makeup's off and he kind of like puts his face in a cake to kind of and all that kind of stuff to to the ending of the film which i think speaks to um, a lot of things that a lot of families have gone through. It just, uh, yeah, it was very poignant. Nice. Yeah. Um, do you mind if I share my number two? No, please do. I did not have Mrs. Doubtfire <laughs> in any of mine. <laughs> um, my number two is actually from The Fisher King. Ah. Um, and there's this great scene where uh, the Robin Williams character, who is, you know, having a lot of a lot of issues, PTSD, amongst other things. Um, it is an interesting film. Um, it, it, it is it is a heavier film at times, but it does have definitely light moments. But he is walking down the street um, with his love interest, who is played by Amanda Plummer. And he he's just kind of walking along, and 
um, he he just sort of snatches something out of the trash and he he creates this little like like chair made out of I believe it's like pop cans or something or some huh. some like wire from a pop can and he says to her um, that a lot of beautiful things can come out of the trash and mm. it's this it's this really sweet moment um, and this is sort of the theme of the the film is that you know you can create beautiful things and hold things um, when you're broken and um, that's I think that's such a fantastic message and I just loved his performance in this I thought he was fantastic and really really did did a very good job in what I hear was a very weird set <laughs> just in terms of just the things that they were having <laughs> to do and um I don't think that that's uh, I don't think that's unique to to Terry Gilliam sets but um yeah. and then there was a lot of um there's been a lot of interviews and, and things that he had mentioned about Jeff Bridges and working with him on this that I thought were wonderful so Oh yeah I love what he said about um how Jeff Bridges shared this idea that don't worry about mistakes. Right. And That's that was from gift. the that was from the uh WTF podcast, but um yeah. he yeah, no, and that was a fantastic little story, so um it made me happy to hear that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Def- definitely again. Don't worry don't worry about podcast. mistakes, they're a gift, I think is the way Yeah, and that these are opportunities and um so much good can come out of it. Uh, good pick, Conrad. That's that's a real good one. Uh, my number two is, uh, you alluded to this earlier, the Robin Williams Inside the Actor's Studio uh, interview. Um, it, now, um, the you can watch the whole thing on YouTube. Hopefully it'll stay up on YouTube. Um, but the interview begins um, with a little bit of a disclaimer that the actual interview went on for like six hours. And that one person in the audience had to be hospitalized for a hernia from laughing so much. Well, it was um, probably that woman in front. I think it was that woman. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, Robin Williams actually during the interview comments on her laugh and how she has this most amazing laugh. Um, what The reason why this is number two is uh, for those of you who might not be familiar with his stand-up or have seen him in an interview, you really get a – you get a sense for everything we've talked about, how he, um, in a, a frenetic, expansive way, fills the room and experiments. At one point, he grabs um, this one woman's scarf and does um, a series of characters, improvisations based on that scarf. And it's hilarious. It's funny. And um, you're right. Sometimes he does evade questions. And um, you do get s- some personal narrative at least his narrative of his life where his comedy came from um these ideas that he has about um uh, kind of being uh, being a kid at home alone and kind of using his imagination and creating jokes for his mom and that was kind of fun and it was cool to get that attention and so he started doing more of that and he shares some of his story about growing up in Chicago, moving around, what it was like to be in California, what's it like to be in New York. Um, so it's it's an interesting mix of, yes, some of the classic uh, Robin Williams um, expansiveness combined with some personal moments um, and some of the, the more tenderness as well. So um, check it out. They, they have an hour and a half or two hour version of it on the final episode. And it's on YouTube for now. We'll put the links in the, in the show notes. 
Yeah, see, I, I did watch it, um, and I had seen, as I said, clips of this before, um, and then you had put it up just as sort of prep for the show, and, you know, it maybe, and maybe I would have felt differently if I had watched it before, before this week, um, but I, you know, it actually made me a little bit sad because of how much he was evading, mm-hmm. um, and again, I think it's probably a retrospect thing, but, um, you know, just seeing, just seeing like how he needed the audience. So, um, it's, it's interesting to kind of watch that now. Um, and you, if you combine that with, you know, one of the interviews that you shared with me from, um, I believe it was Vulture, um, who, uh, they have an article about what's it like to improv. And that was the Mike, uh, Berbiglia. Yeah. Um, and so they're talking about um, or he's talking about this experience of having Robin Williams come to Upright Citizens Brigade, which is a, you know, a landmark improv uh, uh, place here in New York. And the difference between seeing him in front of an audience mm-hmm. and behind an audience and uh, or behind the stage, uh, behind the scenes and um, how quiet and somber and reflective he was. And, and how, humble. And yes. Humble. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, you know, for people who do live such a public life, it is uh, sometimes we just never get a sense of who they are and we think we know them. Um, and we think we know who these people are based upon their performances, but that might not be the actual person. So you're right. He does, he does evade a lot of questions, but I still think it is, um, at least in his own words, um, a narrative of his, of his life. Well, no. And then, you know, when I found out that it was actually six hours long, I wondered what they had edited out. And I wonder if some of the more genuine stuff was actually in there. Sure. Um, so I'm wondering, you know, what, what exactly did they cut? You know? So yeah. just say. Um, and then, um, so, th- but that leads me to my number one Rob Williams moment. And um, it's actually from the podcast that I've referenced in talk to you about several times and it's the the WTF podcast with Mark Marin and um I have to say that whole interview um it's not really a moment per se but to to hear him talk about all these different things and talk about them as without that persona I thought was just very honest and really interesting to listen to and um, there's a lot of moments that just, I mean, honestly, just a little bit heartbreaking to be frank, but I thought that it was such a valuable thing that it's out there. Um, and especially when he talks about his struggles with addiction and depression and, and other things, I just think it was just, I, I'm very glad that he, that this exists. Um, yeah. and I'm glad that Mark Marin put this out there and I mean I will full disclaimer there is a very emotional intro to this by Mark Marin who just is um obvi- obviously impacted by this um and even he says he didn't really know Ron Williams very well and you know doesn't want to act as if he did but felt like this was just such an honest interview with him so um, so so uh, that is my number 1 <laughs> a little confession that was on my top 5 um but I shifted it out as we started talking Wait, about it earlier. Did you shift it out? Really? Yeah, I did. Um, I did oh, well. because because we were talking about it and I'm like, oh, no, we talked about it. That was in my top five. That's but, OK. I don't I don't mind putting it up there. I do think if it's if it's not too hard for people to listen to. I mean, I, I just thought it was such a great thing. And, you know, that is actually one thing I really love about podcast interviews is that you get I think you get some 
more uh, i think you get less showcasing yeah on them sometimes and sometimes you just see these amazing you hear these amazing stories and interviews that i don't think um you get in other formats so or other mediums rather so i, I just, totally agree with you um so so yeah check it out if you feel like it we'll put those in the show notes so my number one, um, I'm, I'm picking a whole film here or a character in a film, uh, and readers or listeners, um, you're not readers. I mean, maybe you read show notes, but you're primarily <laughs> listeners. Um, listeners might be able to piece this together knowing my age, the generation I grew up in. Um, it's, uh, Robin Williams performance as the genie in Aladdin. And, uh, here's why it's my number one. Um, I think I saw this film in the fourth grade is probably when it came out fourth or fifth grade. And, um, at first I, at first I I had a lot of strong feelings about this film. Um, one of the things that bugged me was the Prince Ali number and kids would start, the kids started teasing me and they kept calling me Prince Ali and they started singing the song around me. (laughs) Oh no. this ha- totally for like a year, Conrad. This happened. I can't I re- believe you picked this as your number one. Then, well, but but here, I mean, here, hold on, hear me out. And um, I don't, I can't remember who I talked to. Maybe I, I talked to someone. I don't know if it was my mom or dad or my brother or a friend, but someone at some point said, "Hey, Ali, they could be calling you a lot worse things than Prince Ali." You know, fabulous he, Ali Ababa, strongest ten regular men. Yes, it is he. Like, I mean, that's what people were saying. Like, it it didn't really go beyond them singing the song. Like, these kids weren't that creative. <laughs> um, so, I, I at some point, I was like, Yeah, sure, go ahead, bring it. Call me Prince Ali. Like, um, so, anyways, once I got over that, um, which happened, um, you know, relatively quickly. Um, the movie and Robin Williams performance as the genie is just so unique. Um, and the story of how Disney got Robin Williams to play this role is a great one. Um, the, the lead animator, um, uh, Eric Goldberg, he animated some of his standup to um uh with with this genie kind of playing the uh, visualizing the 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 stand-up and that's how they showed that to robin williams and they said please will you do this role we we wrote this role for you and he came on board and he did so much ad-libbing so much improv and they had hours and hours and hours of extra footage and that sometimes they had to say hey robin remember this is disney we can't we can't do that but um the the number of impressions and so much stuff that went over my head as a kid and now I rewatch this and I think this is probably one of his ultimate performances and he's not really limited by what you can do um what you can do in person but in an animated form it was kind of the the ultimate way for robin williams to kind of express these these characters that he comes up with so i think it it really elevated that film beyond what it it should have been and you know i have problems with disney i have problems with how skin color and villains are portrayed and some of the gender roles and all that stuff and yes that's there well and- that's actually why like it's the genies in my honorable mentions but i had a lot of 
issues with Aladdin. But it's interesting because, you know, as a kid, you don't always recognize all of that. No. And as an adult, it's really in your face, or I think it is anyway. Um, but the genie part, I thought Robin Williams was was so good. Yeah, I mean, um, there's a lot. There's a lot of cultural stuff. There's a lot. Well, I didn't want to. I didn't want to get it. I mean, some of it's just so offensive. It's beyond offensive. Um, yes. Yes. So, absolutely. So you know, it's it's yeah. So I just couldn't put it in my top five, but um, but I'm glad you did because um, the genie, and I'm glad that I now have a new nickname for you. There you go, uh, Prince Bring Ali. It. Bring it, Conrad. So, well, you'll get flack for your hook. I know, uh, I know. I'll, I'll get some for the genie pick, um, and that's the, how we do it. Oh, this is fantastic. Yeah, yeah totally. Um, but honorable mentions, yeah. So that was in my honorable mentions. Also, um, I actually had Jumanji in my honorable mentions. Um, this is a, bro- a, a movie that uh, my youngest brother, Kevin, liked to watch, um, and I watched it with him, and uh, I just have a soft spot in my heart for it plus i just thought some of the ideas behind it were very cool even if they were terrifying um yeah you know i i haven't seen it since it came out but i remember loving it yeah so i i love that um i you know night at the museum obviously is in my honorable mentions but how about you um there's so i (laughs) Uh, as we were talking about the W2F podcast, I moved it to my honorable mention. So it's it's there as if it needs another mention. Um, but I'm going to put a, a couple of movies here that um, aren't talked about as much. Uh, Insomnia, I'm going to put on this list. It's Robin Williams playing a character that he typically doesn't really play. It's uh, also a Christopher Nolan film, um, and I'm, I'm a big fan of him as a director. So if you haven't seen that, check it out. Um, I'm also going to put Bicentennial Man on here. Um, uh. And the reason I'm putting that on here is, you know, uh, Robin Williams is a guy who experimented, and this is one of his, it's a very science fiction film, but it, it is a... Um, a sci-fi film none, nonetheless. And I also had What Dreams May Come, something that you mentioned earlier on. Oh, in my that was, that was in, I didn't put it on because I had talked about it a lot in another, one of our other episodes. So, yeah. Um, but it's certainly on the list. Um, and also I just, he was on Sesame Street an awful lot, like in these, these you know, how they have, have um, stars go on and do little segments. And he did that an awful lot. And I just really loved it when he would do that. Um so I I just thought that that was like a great thing. Um, so, I love it. Like I love when it they once. when they do that, that's always that's really just always fun uh, it's when the, the celebrities thing. do that. It, and it's so fun for the kids, you know. I totally. Um, or agree. for the kids at heart <laughs> 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 who who have to watch these things with children, you know. So yeah. Well, Conrad, I'm 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 glad we did this. Um, I'm I'm glad we had this episode and um I'm really looking forward to hearing from from all of you from the listeners about what are some of your favorite Robin Williams moments from his uh from his great career. So let us know. You know, email us at info@superfantasticnerdhour.com. At you can find us on Twitter at nerd hour. Um you can visit the website and share feedback there. Um and Conrad, what are we doing next week? Uh, next week, we are going to be talking about the Doctor Who premiere, uh, which is uh, unveiling a new Doctor. People have seen some of the trailers, but it's Peter Capaldi. 
And um, I, I, you know, I think we're going to do a little a little pregame show and then um, talk about our impressions of the premiere. So it's going to be a lot of fun. I so, can't wait. So I cannot wait to do this. Um, and I'm really super excited about it. I know I know some people are a little worried about the new doctor, but people are always worried about the new doctor. Yeah. I mean, look, the transition to a new doctor is always a little bit of a wibbly wobbly one, but um, it is Interesting, and they're going in a new direction with this doctor. So I'm excited, and you know, a little uh, bit of a super fantastic nerd hour trivia for you all. Our um, one of our experimental episodes that we did right before our first released episode was a Doctor Who episode in celebration of the 50th anniversary. So we never released that one because you don't want to listen to it. It's a little bit of a mess. But uh, it is more than a little bit of a mess. And also, I think friend of the show, Alan Bailward, might might have some kind of a fatal aneurysm and we just don't want to kill him. So <laughs> it's like two and a half hours long. It was a long episode. Um, but we have been waiting um, so long to do a Doctor Who episode. So this is going to be fun. Um, until then, Conrad, where can people find you on the internet? On the internet, obviously, they can find me on Twitter. I'm Die Prince on there and on my other podcast with my intrepid co-host, Stuart Tiffin. We do Reanimated, the, the podcast about things undead. Um, and that's reanimatedpodcast.com. And on Twitter, it's reanimatedpcast. See, look, I got it right, Ollie. You got it right. Yay. Clap, 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 clap. Nicely done, Conrad. Um, and you can find me um, on Twitter as well. I'm at Alima2. And I um, I am also the science fiction psychologist at brainknowsbetter.com, where I talk about the psychology of science fiction. Um, until then, folks. Oh, wait. But we have to mention, where can people email into the show, Ollie? I think we mentioned that earlier, Conrad, for those of us who were paying attention to the show. It was info at superfantasticnerdhour.com. Oh, I guess I missed that one. Hmm. I think you were probably just uh I guess I was practicing. prepping I was probably prepping to get my other my other handles <laughs> yes. right. You're 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 practicing reanimated podcast versus reanimated podcast. But yeah. that's okay. It's all that's good. Okay. It's all good. Um I, I need some more espresso today. This is quite clear. <laughs> I always We're, need more espresso. When do I not need more espresso? Yeah, we either do this show late at night or early in the morning. Both are both are not good times for me. <laughs> both are not good times. We both need lots of caffeine. So, um, until next time, live long and prosper. Indeed. <laughs>